What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Milner. Today, we've got an incredible Q&A episode. I was looking through the questions on Instagram. By the way, you should be following me on Instagram so you can post your questions every single week when we do a Q&A episode. So it just goes on my story, you know, the little questions box. And looking through, there's some amazing questions this week that I'm excited to jump in and answer for you. But before I do that, I've got a little bit of real talk that needs to be thrown your way. Now, hopefully, you're sitting down, you're bracing yourselves, because this one is going to sting a little bit. And it's funny, I ask anytime I have a conversation with somebody who is a listener of the show, I ask them, what do you like about it? And most of the time, and really that's just so I can continue to get better, most of the time the answer is, it's your straight to the point, no nonsense approach. So if that's truly what you like, you're about to get it because I'm about to deliver something that is going to hurt and it's going to sting, but it needs to be said. Here's the deal. If you have at one point or another had a conversation with myself or with somebody on my team and you have turned down coaching, had a conversation with myself or somebody on my team, and you decided to not move forward with coaching, then you have effectively forfeited your right to complain. And the only person that is left to blame is the person staring at you in the mirror. Now, I realize that might sound harsh, but let me explain. If you were really thirsty and you were struggling because you're dehydrated, you have dry mouth, you're really thirsty. And you're like, man, this sucks. I hate being thirsty. This is really uncomfortable. I don't like the pain of this situation. I need to fix this. And then I'm over here like, hey, I've got this beautiful bottle of water for you. Here it is. Would you like it? And you're like, no, I don't want your water. It's not the right time to drink your water. I need to check with my husband to see if I'm allowed to drink your water. I can't afford to drink your water. Whatever excuse you make to not drink the water, the bottom line is you are choosing to continue to be uncomfortably thirsty versus taking the solution to your problem. And if that's the choice, that's fine. You are a grown person. You can make that choice. However, Let's make no mistakes about it. You are choosing your current problems. You are choosing your current misery over the solution. Therefore, you have no right to complain about not being where you want to be. If you're not where you want to be right now and you are turning down the solution, the only person left to blame is yourself. You have no right to complain. Now, I realize that some of you are are going to be upset about this and are going to be like, you just don't understand. It's not the right time. I can't afford it, this, that, and the other. And what I will say is you're literally putting a price tag or a time window on the things that you desire. 
So if somebody were to ask you, why do you even want to achieve your goals? Why is this even important? I ask this question all the time. And the answers I get are pretty powerful. It has to do with better self-esteem, more confidence, setting up a better example for your children. That's probably the number one response. I don't want my kids to grow up with the same disordered eating, the same habits, and the same mindset that I have. I want to set a better example for them. I want to save them from the same shit that was passed down to me. You know, sometimes it's just vanity. Sometimes it's just, I want to look better naked. I want to feel more comfortable, comfortable in my clothes. So then when that solution is right there for you to take advantage of, you are putting a price tag on what that's worth. You're saying that there's an actual price tag on setting a better example for your kids, on your confidence, on your self-esteem, on the solution to your problems. You're saying it's not worth it. You're communicating to yourself that you are not a priority, that setting a better example for your kids is not a priority, that other things take precedence. And, And you can say all you want about not being able to afford it, and I can appreciate that. But if you read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the author talks about his rich dad who had nothing growing up, had nothing. And any time he was met with a situation where he could not afford something, he never used the phrase, I can't afford it. He always asked the question, how can I afford this? His poor dad always used can't, which means that there's no possibility. You've just shut off all options because you use the word can't where the rich dad who had nothing continued to ask the question, how can I afford this? So when you shut yourself off and you say, it's not the right time, I can't afford this, and you believe your own excuses, you are shutting yourself off from the the solution, from the possibility of a solution, which again, forfeits your right to complain. Now, I've also witnessed enough situations where People got resourceful because they knew there's no price tag on their confidence, on their self-esteem, on setting a better example for their kids. And a recent example, shout out to our client, Jessica, hope you're listening right now, reached out to me and said, you know, when I signed up for coaching, she said, I have, I have twins who are young and I have two other kids, four kids, and I lost my job right, right at, uh, before COVID hit. Hasn't been working for a couple of years, been homeschooling, has four children. She said the investment into coaching was really a stretch. It was a stretch. And she was like, and now I look back and I can confidently say that that was the best life investment that I've ever made. Think about that. So now the way that she described it was, the confidence that she shows up to homeschool her children. Do you think that her kids get a better version of her now that she is more confident, now that she feels better about herself, now that she has more energy? Of course, because the previous version of her was in pain, was uncomfortable, wasn't happy. Of course, you can, you can put on that, that face for so long, you can fake it till you make it, but the reality is there's a solution, right? Like, you're thirsty and somebody's offering you a water, that's the solution. Now, again, 
you can believe all of your excuses and that's totally fine and that's well within your right to do. But when you turn down the solution, you no longer have the right to complain about it. So hopefully that makes sense and doesn't come across as too harsh. But sometimes we need to hear it reframed in a different context for it to truly settle in that you can make all of the excuses you want, but at the end of the day, the communication that you're sending to yourself is that I'm not a priority, is that I'm not worth prioritizing. I'm not worth getting resourceful for. I'll just sit here with these problems that I've been struggling with for years, decades, and I'll just bear the burden. And that's okay. And that's the communication. Like when you say, oh, I need to make sure that my husband is okay with this, I can promise you. If your husband knew how thirsty you were and how uncomfortable it was making you, if he's a supportive husband, he will say, absolutely, go drink the freaking water. If not, then maybe there's a different conversation that has to be had about, about your relationship. Same thing, like when it comes to timing, when, you know, and a lot of people can, can rationalize it and say, well, you know what? How do I know that this water will quench my thirst? How do I know that this water will actually make a difference and quench my thirst? And here's what I'll say to that. Do you know what is guaranteed to keep you thirsty? Not drinking the water. That's a guarantee. That much we know for sure. Not drinking the water guaranteed to keep you thirsty, to keep you uncomfortable. So when the water is there and you're like, well, I don't know if drinking that water is going to quench my thirst. That's fine. You can be skeptical as I'm sitting here needing water myself. You can be skeptical. However, the other side of that is the certainty that not drinking the water guarantees that you stay thirsty. So when it comes to timing, when it comes to whatever excuse you're trying to rationalize in your mind, the reality is if you turn it down, you're turning down the solution. You are choosing, you are actively choosing the certainty of your current situation. And if if your current situation is such that you're not where you want to be, that's fine. That's your choice. Look in the mirror and let yourself know that I am choosing these problems over the solution. Now we can move on to the Q&A and my apologies if that offends anybody, but sometimes we need to be hit between the eyes before we actually wake up and see the reality of the situation. Sometimes we just need that wake up call and hopefully this is received as a wake up call more than anything else. And I'm also not coming at it from from the perspective of, I think it's easy because I can promise you that I spent 10 years turning down the water and complaining about it over and over and over again. I had this conversation with somebody yesterday and she told me about all the money that she had spent in the past. And I was like, guess what? Me too. And then when I had a real coach that could actually help me, I could have easily said, well, I've, I've spent all this money and so I'm not going to spend any more money. But I didn't because I knew that the solution was more important to me than the temporary financial hit. And ultimately, 
it was the best decision that I could have ever made. Not even, you know, because of anything that happened financially. None of that matters. You'll figure it out. That's what I mean by getting resourceful. You can hold on to that excuse, but you'll figure it out. You'll get resourceful. But the, the bottom line is I have been there before where I have turned down the water, where I have spent money on solutions that were not really the solution. Quick fixes, you know, trying to, to rip the Band-Aid off. And then it made me skeptical when somebody was like, hey, guess what? I have this bottle of water to quench your thirst. I was very skeptical because of past experiences, but I also knew that the solution, I was not okay with the certainty of how I felt. I was not okay with the certainty of my pain, of my discomfort, of my disordered eating. I wasn't okay staying the same. So if you can't embrace uncertainty, then you sure as fuck cannot embrace growth. If you can't embrace uncertainty, then you can't embrace growth because it's necessary. And that's the last thing I'll say about that. Let's jump in to the Q&A. First question I got from, actually, I'm not going to say names because half of them are IG handles, so I don't even know names. Um, First one is, how much cardio is too much for people who want to compete in powerlifting? It's a great question. So if your goal, if your priority is to be as good at powerlifting as possible, to perform like you... You know, Jason Phillips and NCI uh, coined the, the triangle of awareness. They um, kind of created this, this graphic, this concept where the triangle has three points and we've got performance, we've got aesthetics, and we've got longevity. So it, the more that you push yourself towards one of those extremes, the more you're taking yourself away from the other two points of the triangle. Now, of course, you can live in the middle. You can you know, place yourself anywhere in the triangle. But, but I think it's a great visual to understand that on the extreme side of performance, you're taking away from longevity and you're taking away from aesthetics, like somebody who wants to compete at the highest level of powerlifting or any sort of athletic endeavor, whatever. Doing that to your body is not healthy, right? Like think about an NFL player taking repetitive hits like that is not healthy. Um, An NFL lineman who's 300 pounds doesn't care whether his abs are showing, right? It's, It's all about performance. And I say that because if your goal is to compete in powerlifting and be as good at powerlifting as you can possibly be, well, you're taking away from aesthetics. You have to remove that goal and you're taking away from longevity. And that would mean that pretty much no cardio would be the ideal scenario for somebody who just wants to focus on powerlifting. Um, so that way, you know, you're, you're getting everything you can out of your session, driving your strength up, you know, improving your lifts. And the amount of cardio would be just walking, things like that. Now, if you're not that extreme, then you can, of course, sprinkle some cardio in. So when you say how much is too much, um, that's, it's really not something that can be answered because it depends on the individual. It depends on your goals. It depends on what you're okay with sacrificing, you know, doing a little bit of cardio here and there, you're not going to be sacrificing much on the performance side of things. So it always depends, 
um, on you know, why are you doing it? Is it just because you enjoy it to clear your head? Um, if so, as much as you want, with the understanding that the more cardio you're doing, the more you're, you're pulling away from the performance side of things with powerlifting. So next question, thoughts on in-body machine accuracy. So for those of you that don't know, an in-body machine is a body fat uh, scanner. Basically, you, you stand on it, you hold these handles, and it gives you this whole reading on your uh, basal metabolic rate, your muscle distribution, your body fat percentage. And there's other you know versions of that, like a DEXA scan, a BOD pod, um, different ways to measure body fat percentage. None of them are 100% accurate. And I would say that none of them are really all that accurate in general, some more than others. I actually like in body. Um, Here's what I'll say. It's not necessarily the fact that is it accurate or not. That's kind of irrelevant. What matters is the consistent data point. If you're using something like that, the data point and the trends over time can be helpful to look at. You know, it's like, let's just say, um, you know, body fat percentage, it shows 20%. And that's, it doesn't matter if that's accurate. Let's say you're, you're actually 15%, but the in-body shows 20%. Who cares? Because if you notice that 20% trending over time in the right direction, well, then we can confidently, you know, assume that your body fat percentage is, is getting lower. So it's really about the data point over time, not necessarily the accuracy of it. Um, I would say the big caveat to that is you have to be very consistent about the way that you measure. So if I were to do an in-body, first thing in the morning, fasted, no water, no food, nothing. Like I just go in and I'm, you know, basically in my underwear, I haven't eaten anything. I haven't had anything to drink. And I do an in-body scan. That result is going to look very different if I were to go later in the day, if I had some water, if I had some food, if I had more clothes on, right? So we have to understand the, the testing conditions as well. So if you're going to do it, um, and, and for women, even doing it right around the same time of your cycle can also make a big difference. So I would say as long as you're keeping the testing method consistent and you're just viewing it as a data point to see trends over time, then cool, it can, it can be helpful. Otherwise, if you're just talking about the accuracy of it, yeah, somewhat, but but not super accurate. Um, nutrition advice for someone who deals with hormonal imbalances. Uh, this is a great question because uh, a lot of people assume hormonal imbalances and want to know how to fix it. Um, I would need to know specifically what are the hormonal imbalances because that's a very general, broad statement. Uh, we could be talking about insulin resistance. We can be talking about an irregular cortisol curve. We could be talking about estrogen dominance or low progesterone or low testosterone. We could literally talk about a million different hormonal imbalances. So without having the specifics, it's difficult to, uh, to really know what's going on. But what I will say is that a lot of what you would do for most hormonal imbalances, there is a bulk of actions that are going to help regardless. So food quality is number one. Are you getting in quality sources of food in terms of getting in your fruits and veggies, getting in quality lean protein, getting in enough fiber, um, getting in a variety of vegetables? Um, you know, that 
type of thing when it comes to quality, you know, omega th- omega-3s, wild fish, um, things like that. Are you getting in enough quality to help with micronutrients that will support hormone health? Um, you know, healthy fats, ba- basically all of our hormones kind of start from the quality of the fats that we consume, cholesterol, things like that. So we have to be paying attention to food sources. Um, what's the quality of our diet? Now, I'm a big believer in kind of that 80-20 rule where 80% should be like mostly whole foods, nutrient dense, um, 20% variety. And so that's a big part of it, quality. Also, quantity matters because of the next thing, which is stress. The biggest disruptor for hormonal balance is stress. And that can be in the form of eating too little. That can be in the form of overtraining. That can be in the form of personal relationships, thoughts around food. It can be stress from your job. It can be stress from not sleeping enough. So the general broad stroke of mitigating and managing stress is super helpful and important when it comes to hormonal health. So, you know, can you improve your sleep quality? Can you reduce stress in your life? Can you eat enough, uh, you know, to you know be at around maintenance or at least to restore that homeostatic balance? Um, training wise, are we recovering? Are we, or are we still trying to do too much? Um, going for a walk. Walking is another thing from a stress management management standpoint, but also helps with um, hormonal balances. So walking improves insulin sensitivity. It also lowers cortisol. Um, you know, all of these things, drinking enough water. Now the like extreme and in my opinion, and here's, here's the thing. I, I realize that everybody has their different standpoint, their viewpoint. Um, a lot of coaches who deal specifically with hormonal health will start to talk to you about like, eliminating plastics and being careful about, you know, making sure that everything's organic, even your like deodorants and your shampoos and all of that um, to avoid environmental toxins. I think that that's kind of like the very last thing to look at. Um, But I want to mention it because it does play a role, but I think that sometimes we over rotate on things like that and it becomes a little bit too obsessive and extreme. Um, So one thing that we can look at is supplementation. Um, you know, and, and again, this is where it like really, really depends on what's going on. Um, but depending on the, you know, hormonal imbalance, there would be different supplement protocols that you can look at that would help. Now that's where it's like very specific. So I'm saying supplements in a, in a broad sense, because I'm not talking about a specific hormonal imbalance, but if I were to look at something like, um, you know, irregular cortisol curve, well, then I'd look at more adaptogens, you know, things like ashwagandha, rhodiola. Um, I'm a big fan of mushrooms, um, things like cordyceps, reishi, lion's mane, um, turkey tail, like all the, the, the whole mushroom adaptogen class is, is fascinating. Um, that is actually why um, I take green juice from Organifi and their red juice because their green juice has ashwagandha in it. The red juice has cordyceps. And then their gold juice, which I use before bed, has turkey tail and it also has reishi. Um, in addition to turmeric, so when it comes to like reducing, reducing inflammation, when it comes to like joint health, um, turmeric's an amazing supplement. So there's things like that. And, and again, with, 
with uh, the green juice, with the red juice, like you're getting all of these superfoods as well, uh, micronutrients, different varieties of um, you know vegetables, fruits, things like that that are going into the powder that they create. Um, it's all natural ingredients. It's all clinical dosing. It, it's it's an amazing way to support. Uh, it's like the insurance policy. That's that's the exact way that I think of it. So it's like I can get my adaptogens in. I can get those mushrooms in. I can get in a variety of fruits and veggies uh, just by using a scoop of green juice, using a scoop of red juice. I actually use the red juice as my pre-workout because cordyceps are amazing for pre-workout. I use the green juice as kind of like my daily insurance policy. And then especially when I travel, I love to have the green juice on hand. And then the gold juice for sleep. Um, it's funny, we actually started, Mel and I started taking um, their immunity supplement, their immunity powder, which is which is really good um, because it has some zinc, it has some vitamin C. And then Mel has been doing their new product, which is Glow, and then also Harmony. So Harmony is specifically, and the reason why I'm mentioning this, because it goes in line with the question, Harmony is specifically a supplement to help with hormonal balance. Um, so it's like a, a cacao, um, really good with almond milk. Mel's been using that and really enjoying it um, because she started to feel like things were a little bit off. So has um, been taking their harmony to help with hormonal balance. So that's the one that I would recommend in particular. Um, and then she also takes the glow to help with, it's like a collagen um, product that helps with, uh, you know, skin health, bone health, that sort of thing. And then, um, yeah, I mean, they have an incredible line that will help you if you're somebody who needs a little bit of an insurance policy on the fruits and veg, if you're somebody who needs a little bit of help with the sleep side of things, or if you need some help with hormonal imbalances, um, their product line is incredible. It is you know, really like the only one that I would confidently support that I actually take consistently. I actually have my water right here that has pure uh, which is one of their products that helps with gut health because I've been having some digestive issues. So I started taking that already starting to notice a difference. Uh, we actually hooked up a really incredible discount with Organifi for the Mind Over Macros listeners. So you can go to Organifi.com slash popfam to get 20% off all of their products. Anything that you want, um, I would recommend starting with the green juice and the red juice, or if you need help with sleep, going with the gold juice. If you need help with hormonal balance, I would go with their Harmony product, but you really can't go wrong. I have not, there's not a single product that I've tried of theirs that I haven't fallen in love with. So, you know, kudos to them for what they're, what they're doing. Uh, but yeah, it's Organifi.com slash popfam for 20% off. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash P-O-P-F-A-M. And if you do order something, let me know because I would love to hear how it works out for you. I am such a huge fan. I've been using their products for probably the last five years and uh, they just keep getting better. So definitely hit me up if you try it out and let me know. And we're going to move on to the next question. <laughs> this is funny. Calories from supplements and vitamins. Do you count them or don't count them? Things like omega-3s, multivitamins, kind of ironic timing there. Um, so I would say, no, I don't count them. Um, the stuff that I take from Organifi typically has around like 25 to 30 calories in it, like the green juice um, and the red juice. I don't count it because it's not that big of a deal. Like it's, you know, we're talking about maybe an extra 50 calories 
um, 75 calories at most, but I'm consistent in not tracking it. So, and I just find that if you're going to be that obsessive about it, it's probably creating a little bit more um, stress than anything else. If you're like, oh, I took this vitamin, I have to log it, or I took this uh, powder, I have to log it. Now, something that's a little bit more substantial, like a protein powder, of course, that's going to contribute a lot to your daily protein intake. But I would say just pick a method and stick with it. So if you are tracking your supplements, just be consistent with it. But I would say you don't have to because, again, just like I said with the in-body, we're looking for trends over time. So as long as you stay with the same method, then you're totally fine to either track or not. Just pick a method and stick with it. That's the same way that I answer the question of um, should I log my protein, you know, if I'm cooking chicken or whatever, should I should it be raw or cooked? Um, I would I always say just pick the method. Make sure that you're finding the entry, right, for raw versus cooked, but whichever one you feel like is easier for you, pick it and stick with it. Same thing with with this. Just, you know, stay consistent in the method. Um, next question is, do you coach people that struggle with disordered eating slash eating disorders? Uh, so great question. And I appreciate you uh, reaching out and asking that. Um, we are not psychologists. We don't do any sort of um, medical nutrition intervention. Um, we work a lot with mindset and relationship with food. So there is a large part of our coaching that addresses your relationship with food. We have had a number of clients who have come to us and they've had issues overindulging, binging, and we've been able to work through our process, through the way that we do things. We've able to been able to help them, but we don't ever claim to solve for sure not eating disorders. Um, that is absolutely out of our scope. That would be a you know licensed therapist, psychologist that I would recommend going to. That is absolutely out of our scope, but I do. I will say that through the process, through the mindset work, through what we do, um, even just through neurotyping, through metabolic priming, all of the things that we integrate into our process has helped tremendously. A number of people work through and, and develop a healthier relationship with food, um, stop binging, stop feeling lack of control around food, but I would never make the claim that we treat eating disorders because that would be unethical, that would be not true. So um, hopefully that helps. Next question is how to find balance in tracking macros to manage consistency, but not have a perfectionist mindset. I love this question because I am a perfectionist by nature and I am somebody who became super obsessed and crazy about tracking where it was literally an obsession and wasn't very healthy. So the first thing is understand that tracking in and of itself is an imperfect method. It, you can't be perfect. So right off the bat, even if you're trying to be perfect, you're trying to accomplish something that's impossible because there's a margin of error in many different ways from food labels to the entries to you know human error. There's all these different areas where it's an imperfect way of doing things. So understand that. Um, also, force yourself to take untracked meals, days, because, and it doesn't have to be, you know, all at once, but if you find yourself like really needing to, to log and weigh and track everything every single day perfectly, well, avoid doing that by giving yourself 
an untracked meal to start and forcing yourself to do that and then going to an untracked day and then seeing if two days is okay. I would just say gradually move yourself away from the obsession of tracking every single bite of food that you put in your mouth and really understanding the fact that, again, with tracking, the goal is to kind of get close enough and to kind of see some trends and to see how your body responds and what works for you. We don't have to, like knowing the exact number is kind of irrelevant because the exact number, again, it's impossible to know precisely what that number is because of the nature of, of you know, food labels and human error and tracking errors and all of the things that make it an imperfect way of doing things. So you, as with any data point, you have to just be able to take a step back and view it as simply data. It's not an exact science. It's not perfect. And just take perfection off the table right away. Just understand it's imperfect. Understand that even if you track every single morsel of food to the gram, you're still not perfect. So stop trying and then give yourself some, some time where you're not tracking an untracked meal, an untracked day, take breaks, take diet breaks, um, stop trying to uh, you know, control every little detail. That would be the way to go. Next question is, where'd we leave off here? Best approach for body recomp, balancing a deficit for fat loss with gaining muscle. Uh, so the best approach is if you're brand new, then you'll have some newbie gains, take advantage. Um, you know, once you're, you're kind of a brand new, um, brand new to strength training, you're going to notice your body hyper responds. So you can be eating at maintenance, or you can be eating in a surplus and you're probably still going to somehow uh, lose body fat. It's just an amazing time, uh, where you've got this like, you know, six month to a year window of just maximizing your progress. I wasted that time by eating very little. Don't make that mistake. If you're a newbie, if you're just getting into strength training, eat enough to support muscle growth and, and use that time. Your metabolism will thank you. Your body will thank you. Your body composition will thank you. Um, however, if you're more advanced, it is a long and slow process. I don't recommend it just because a lot of people don't have the patience and it becomes very monotonous. You have to be really dialed in and very consistent. And it's just, in my opinion, an easier way of doing things to phase things, to, to periodize the process. So take a, a period of time where you're specifically targeting fat loss, take a period of time where you're specifically targeting muscle growth, and that will be much more effective if you're more advanced than trying to master the balance of body recomp at the same time. If you're asking me how to do it, you would be in a very slight deficit, a very slight deficit. And I would say you have to be really spot on with your training. You have to be really spot on with your recovery, with your stress management, with your sleep. I would even say at that point, meal timing probably comes into play a little bit. Um, and where you're placing your food and, and timing your carbs and things like that. We have to pay attention to more of the, the finer details in this instance, because it is so difficult for it to happen at the same time if you're more advanced. So we really have to be buttoned up. And even at that, it's still going to be a long and slow process. So you're probably not going to see much difference over time. And that can be frustrating and that can be um, 
you know, mess with your head and get you thinking like, why isn't this working? That's why I say phasing things and periodizing things would be more effective because you can start to see tangibly the progress that's happening and you're you're very hyper-focused on the task at hand. Like if we're trying to lose body fat, like let's just get this done with, let's, let's get in, let's knock it out and let's get out. And then when you're trying to build muscle, we know, all right, we've got this focus. I don't have to worry so much about, you know, I can, I can prioritize things like my strength, my performance, my recovery um, when I'm in a muscle building phase versus body recomp where you're like really trying to, to like cross your T's and dot your I's with every little thing. And that can, can be challenging. That doesn't mean that it's not doable. We've had that happen a number of times. Typically, when we take clients through a metabolic priming phase, the recomp happens mainly because they've been under eating for so long. And so we set them up really well to be able to have body recomp occur. It's not, it doesn't happen to everybody, but that does happen frequently um, just by the nature of somebody coming to us and we're getting their metabolism back to where it should be. And all of a sudden their body responds um, as a result of that. So it can happen. I'm just saying that periodizing is likely a more effective approach. Next question, how to transition out from intermittent fasting? I feel like it totally messed with my head. Yeah. So I, I've talked about this lately on a couple different episodes where um, I you know, did a program where I couldn't eat until 2 p.m. and I was crazy obsessed with it for sure, messed with my head. Um, just start eating earlier. That's really the bottom line is you kind of just have to jump in and it, it will feel a little bit uncomfortable at first. And you're like, wait, am I allowed to be like, listen, who, who says that you can't eat at a certain time? It's an arbitrary rule. So it doesn't matter. Like it's, it's something that's self-imposed. We heard it somewhere. We believed it. That's fine. Like any belief, we can choose a different belief. We could choose different actions. So your choice is to eat in the morning when you're hungry, just do it and, and start and then realize that the world didn't end and you're totally fine. Um, and, and that's how I would approach it. Like I, you know, was doing that 2 PM, my first meal was at 2 p.m. Then I made it noon. Then I made it 10 a.m. And now I just eat in the morning when I'm hungry. It's pretty straightforward. I don't have, I don't think about it. I don't think about like, what time is it? I just listen like, oh, now it's time for breakfast because I'm hungry. Very simple. Um, nothing changes about when you eat. It has no bearing on anything. So, um, you know, again, that's an oversimplification, but the reality is that your intermittent fasting protocol it's not doing you any favors, especially if it's causing a disordered relationship with food. So I would say just start eating earlier. Next question. We got two more. Can we really boost our metabolism by eating frequently? This is a quick one. No, we cannot. <laughs> so that rumor uh, was put to bed a long time ago and uh, has been backed up by plenty of different studies that show the number of meals in the day does not you know, if you have six, eight, 10 meals a day, there is no metabolic advantage versus one or two meals in that day. Now I will say, and, and here's the thing, the reason why that became um, a myth, the reason why that a lot of people talked about that is because they took a sliver of science and they tried to extrapolate it. And that happens very frequently in this industry. So when you eat, right, there's the digestive process, your metabolism is trying to, you know, break down and move food through your system and put it all to where it all goes, right? That takes energy. So there is a part of that where your metabolism's working. 
there's a thermic effect of feeding that has to that you know contributes to your total daily energy expenditure. So some bro was like, well, if our metabolism is firing up when we're eating, what if we like pretty much ate all day? Our metabolism would always be firing. It's not the case because it has to do with the overall amount that you're eating. And the so let's just say you're eating 2000 calories a day. If you're eating 2000 calories a day spread over 12 meals versus 2000 calories in one meal, the amount that your metabolism has to work to process it in one meal is the same, about the same as your metabolism has to work to process the smaller meals across the day for 12 meals. So it's going to net out to the same thing. The other thing to remember is that that is such a small, small part of your metabolism. The thermic effect of feeding is a very, very small percentage of your total daily energy expenditure. So it's not something that is really worth paying attention to. The best thing to do if you really want to, you know, enhance your metabolism based off of the digestive process is just to eat more protein and fiber. Those are the most, um, when it comes to energy uh, that is required to break down certain foods, to process certain foods, protein is number one, fiber is number two. So if you're eating enough protein, if you're eating enough fiber, you're already getting the advantage of increasing your metabolism. And again, it's a very, very small percentage, but that's the most effective way. Don't worry about how many meals per day you're eating. Just eat the amount of meals per day that fits your schedule and personal preference. All right. Last question. In a recent episode, you said if you lose muscle, like to an injury, that it's easier to regain it. Why is that? Great question. I don't know. It just is. That's what science shows us. Um, There's been plenty of studies that show that regaining muscle is easier and quicker than gaining it in the first place. Now, I can venture a guess as to why that happens. I think that there is, and we have evidence of this in other areas, like there's a kind of metabolic and neurological memory. So once we've adapted to something, our body is quicker to adapt the next time. Like we've already been there. So let's say you eat 1,200 calories and it takes your body a while to adapt to 1,200 calories. Eventually over time, your body's going to adapt. It's going to you know, downregulate. Ultimately, you're going to hit a wall because 1,200 calories is you know, what you're, that's, that's what's coming in. Your body's going to adapt to that. And eventually you're not going to lose body fat anymore at 1200 calories. You're going to be stuck. You're going to be frustrated. And then you inevitably eat more. And let's say six months later, you're like, you know what? I'm going to go back to that 1200 calorie diet. Your body will adapt faster the second time. So in other words, you're going to hit that plateau, that wall quicker the second time than you did the first time. Because I believe that there's some kind of metabolic and neurological memory. Your body is really smart and its whole job is survival, wants to keep you alive. So when it senses that same signal, that same stress signal, it's like, oh, I remember this. That was not fun. Let's adapt. Let's downregulate metabolism. Let's do all the things that we need to do to keep this person alive. So you adapt faster. The same thing, I believe, with muscle growth. You've already adapted. So like going through the process of building muscle, the adaptations have occurred. You know, you're neurologically, you've 
been able to feel that type of weight on the bar, like what it would feel like to, let's say, squat 400 pounds and your body has adapted by building stronger muscles so that you don't have to get crushed under a barbell, right? Your body adapts to keep you alive. Part of that is positive adaptation like muscle growth. And then, you know, you get your muscle fibers, you know, firing in sync. You've, you've got this new muscle tissue that your body's getting used to. Then all of a sudden you get injured and you're out for a while and you're not using that muscle anymore. So your body's like, well, we're not using it. So we don't need it. I don't need to be spending all of this energy to keep this muscle. Let's get rid of it. Then you recover from your injury and you get back in the gym. I believe that there is a neurological and metabolic memory your body's like, oh, okay, we've been here before. We remember how this goes. We don't want to get crushed under this barbell. Let's start this process of rebuilding this muscle. And I believe that it happens faster because of that. Um, but we have studies to, to back that up. So regardless of the why behind it, it just is. Um, so rebuilding muscle will always happen much, much faster and, and um, more efficiently than building it in the first place. So Thank you for the amazing questions. Hopefully this was helpful. Um, if you're not following me on Instagram, you absolutely should be doing that because then you can post your questions when I do a Q&A box. It's just at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. And I will talk to you guys next time.